Welcome back, everyone, to this episode of LambdaCast. My name is David Kuntz, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Logan Barnett. Hello. And Aaron Johnson. Hey, everybody. As always, you can contact us using our email at contact at lambdacast.com. You can get to our episodes at lambdacast.com. Or you can join us on the Slack community, fpchat.com, which I highly recommend everyone join. It is a very large community across a large number of languages. Uh, Everyone from beginners to experts, a very, very good resource in your functional programming journey. And it's free and open for everyone. We've done a couple episodes that were pretty general, pretty, pretty big picture. And last time we said that we were done with that. So... Here's the test. We'll see if we're actually going to hold to that. We're going to talk about a single topic this time, a little more focused, and the topic is higher order functions. So this is sort of a, a tool in your functional programming tool belt, the same way that uh, we've kind of talked about a lot of ideas and concepts in functional programming. We're going to dig in this time to just a single, small kind of concept, the higher order function. So can someone tell me what we mean when we say higher order? Like, what, what does that mean? I can jump in and tell you that I cannot tell you what it means, and that is my role today, to learn about higher order functions. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, higher order specifically or higher order functions? Sure. Well, I mean, higher order functions is probably like a special case of higher order. But what, tell us about higher order functions. Okay, because I, I, I don't know if I could generalize it that far. Uh, but higher order functions are... Basically, functions that take other functions. As like an argument. Mm-hmm. So, that, so it's like a, a function that's parameterized by another function. Right. There's almost like a, it's not recursive, but it's the idea of like functions that can take other functions. That, right. th- that's where the higher order comes from, right? Yep. Um, and then, so there, it's a regular function. It just happens to have this, not special property, but happens to have a, an argument that is another function. That's all we're talking about by a higher order function. Correct. Does it need to be? Does it can it have parameters? Can have other parameters, but can the function that's uh, you know being passed in have parameters? And then is there some special way to specify that? Or uh, absolutely, the the function that is passed as an argument can itself yes. have other arguments. Yes. Okay. It, it's any function, any normal function. So in the same way that you wouldn't think twice about passing an int or a bool or a float or an array or a list or a hash map into a function or returning one, same thing here. We're just saying, well, you can also pass functions as arguments and get them back. That, that's sort of the whole like first class function concept, right? That if your language supports it, you can pass functions into a, another function and return them from a function. So that, that uh, first class function is a prerequisite for having higher order functions. Like your language has to support that. And are they required? Is it, is it a requirement that they're pure? Because that kind of ends up making sense to me since a pure function with the parameters is really kind of just a value, is what, what we've established in the past. So does the function need to be pure? It's being passed in as a parameter? Definitely in, not. Go ahead. Yeah, in, oh. in JavaScript land, I've definitely made things that were higher order functions. Well, I consider them higher order functions. And they have like mutating functions that get passed into them. Hmm. Yeah, and clearly not pure. And we can give a, a really good example of this that is probably the most common form that people will encounter higher order functions in, which is the callback. So if you think about a callback, it's pretty often that like when thing happens in app, do some effectful thing to my app, right? Like 
they click the button, go make the network request. They click the button to go talk to the database, you know, change something on the screen, whatever. Like it, it's often highly effectful in a, in a callback type scenario. Okay. So that's one, that's one example, callbacks. Um, I think probably most people have, have run into something like a callback. You have a function that takes some parameters and then a thing to do later or thing to do after, or sometimes there's two callbacks, like one on success, one on failure. And that those callbacks, if we look at, um, we take JavaScript for an example, right? If you have an event handler, like a button click, so you have an on-click handler for a button in uh, on the DOM, that function that you pass in to the on-click is parameterized. It gets the event, the mouse, the mouse click event. So that's a function you passed in to another function that, when called, will be will be passed a parameter. That kind of jive. It's a little, that's a little simpler than what I'm thinking. Because so so most of us have probably actually run into higher order functions than in our in our work in our day job. Yeah, I think it's pretty uncommon not to have used a higher order function if you do any sort of front end programming. Um, certainly in JavaScript, yeah. it's I think impossible to do any sort of event handling without using callbacks. I don't believe the DOM provides any other facility for that. I believe that's correct. Um, yeah, I can't think of one. I do. I do think so. If coming from an imperative land, most of us are only going to use callbacks or have had used callbacks for our higher order functions. Right. Um, if we dipped into link or streams, you know, being C sharp and Java respectively. Or, or Lodash or uh, Ramda, if you're in JavaScript land. Yeah. We'll, we'll have run into some more common uses of higher-order functions. Okay. Do you want to take us through this? Yeah. So, you know, map is like one of our favorite ones, right? Um, and that's select in C-sharp. I don't know. Uh, does Java use the, just the map term? I, I don't remember which one Java okay. uses. Um, so, you know, map map is pretty simple. It takes a function that transforms some object from one state to another. And well, some, some value, right? Value. It doesn't have to be an object. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A value. And it also, yeah, it takes a function that does that, and then it takes the list of things to operate on. And then it applies that function to everything in the list, and it gives you a new list that's got all the applied stuff in it. So the, the important thing here is that the, uh, the higher orderness of map allows map to care about the how to go through each element in the list and produce a new list without having to care about what it's doing at every step along the way. Map says, you tell me that part. You, you, I'm parameterized by the thing to do. I provide the how to get to each element. Like I know the internal structure of an array, for example, although we can map over other things, right? We can map over object keys or uh, if you have like a, a hash table, kind of that, that kind of a map, um, or sets or whatever. Like we can map over any kind of collection-y kind of thing. And uh, later we'll talk about other things we can map over that aren't necessarily collection-y. Uh, but for now, we can just talk about those yeah. parts. The interesting part about map, I think, to me is like map knows how to do the looping mechanism, right? Like it knows how to, it knows how to go and make you a new list based on the old list with all the, the differing things in there. But it doesn't know what transformation to apply. So it's like this hyper generic function that could do anything almost. And then you're passing in a more specialized function that does all the transformation parts of it. And the only part that you had to do was just make that little specialty piece. Right. Wait, I would 
I'd be a little careful about saying it can do anything. Like map has a very uh, well-defined yeah, yeah. behavior in that in that it's going to take your special sauce, your function, and it's going to apply it to each element along the way, giving you a new whatever you're, you are, you know, array or uh, link list or set or right. whatever at the end. Um, and specifically, um, it doesn't want to know and kind of can't know what the function is you're passing in. And then you write a function just in terms of a very simple A to B kind of a transition. So you have a, um, you know, you have a string and you want to get the length of the string. Well, we have something for that, right? We have dot length. So if you hand me a function that takes a string and gives me back an int or a number from JavaScript, that's basically dot length. You pass that to map. Map can then go apply it to every single thing in your in your array, and you'll end up you'll go from a string uh, array of strings to an array of numbers. And that is only possible. So so if we think to like a standard imperative, like go back ten years, and we're in whatever Java or C or Perl or whatever PHP. If you were going to do that operation, you almost assure, almost certainly would use a for loop or for each or you know whatever your uh, your language provides to you, right? And you'd use a for loop, and you would go through each element in the list, and you would pluck the element out at that index, call dot length on it, and then either shove it into a new list or just overwrite the list in place, or you know depending on what you're doing. And map, it, like there's no way. Like I remember uh, being in Java, <laughs> and this is like whatever 2006. And I'd written a for loop, and it was like the 15th for loop I'd written that day. And I was like, is there no way I can write a function that just does the for loop part for me, like once and for all, and then I can be done with it? And I looked around, and it's like, well, no, there isn't, actually. There's no way to do that. And when I found Ruby uh, about that same time, it was amazing because Ruby had higher order functions, and they had because uh, well, they had first class functions, so they they could do higher order functions, and they had something called uh, map. Well, sorry, they're uh, that thing's they, not called map. Are they is first it? class in Ruby? I didn't feel like they were. Uh, okay, you're you're correct. They are not uh, strictly speaking first class, but they are close enough for the the purposes of this example. You, you I can think. pass functions function like things in Ruby. Yes, yes, yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. Um, and very briefly, we've covered in past podcasts, but. Just real quickly, a first-class function is oh, like first-class function. Yeah, it means that you can uh, you can uh, treat functions as any other value in the system. So you can assign them to variables, you can pass them in as arguments, and you can get them back as return values. You could put them inside arrays, you know, things like that. Anything you would you could do with an int, basically, you can do with a a function. It's just another value. So I remember going to Ruby, and it was like, oh my gosh, I never have to write a for loop ever again. This is amazing. And then coming back to C Sharp, uh, with the introduction of Link, it was very much the same sort of thing. Uh, once Link hit, I basically never wrote a for loop ever again. Now, that's not to say that a for loop is worse. It's not like strictly uh, inferior to, say, the select from Link. But it is more general, and you have to lay out the entire structure every time. So what higher order functions typically do is they take some repetitive thing, like the, the iteration over a collection, right? You know, for var, var I equals zero, I less than blah dot length, I plus plus, that kind of thing. They take that concept and they turn it into a function. But of course, the, the body of the for loop, the thing inside the curly braces, the part that you actually care about most of the time, that part is has to be supplied by you because that's the interesting part, right? That's the, like, the reason you're doing the for loop in the first place. 
And so what higher order functions allow you to do is to say, okay, I'm going to take care of all the boring parts and I'm going to call it map. And then you're going to give me the interesting part as, as a function and you're going to hand it to me and I'm going to do my boring, you know, run the mill iteration kind of thing, but applying your super awesome function that does the cool thing that you want at each step along the way. And then we never have to express this idea ever again. Like once we've the got map, we don't need like other map, like map is map and then we're done. And you only ever need one of those. And that's like uh, in the same way that um, if you didn't have functions at all, uh, you only had, let's say, um, like a jump and a return, right? All you could do is like go to and then jump back or uh, like a go sub from like early basics, right? That a lot of the basics had like go sub, but you couldn't pass any parameters in and there was no like stack to like share state between them. You could only go there, do something and come back and it would be the same thing every time. That is way, way less useful than a function where you can pass a parameter and now it can do a whole bunch of different things. You follow me? Yes. Hopefully the audience is too. Okay. So in the same way that a function that can take parameters is dramatically more useful than a function that is just a sort of a subroutine that you jump to and then jump back from, a higher order function is parameterized in an even more powerful way. Because now not only can can the function do sort of uh, different things based on the parameters that you passed it based on its own internal logic, but it can do it based on your logic, the logic that you provided. And that is not like a, a little bump up in power. It's like a dramatically larger bump up in power when you start thinking of structuring your functions as higher order functions. I'd say a big difference, though, would be that um, we don't really use GoSub or, or that equivalent anymore. We don't really call functions with no, no parameters that don't do anything. Well, actually, that's not totally true. I suppose there are still those times where we call functions that don't take parameters. But uh, they don't take anything and they return void. And we call them purely for their side effects, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, you still are writing plenty of non-higher order functions. Not every function you're writing necessarily needs a function as a parameter Absolutely. type. Absolutely. I'm just making the point that in the same way that functions give you a ton more power than just a go sub, mm -hmm. a higher order function gives you a similar big jump in power in terms of, in terms of yeah. how um, concisely you can represent an idea without having to make a whole bunch of like similar but slightly different variations of it. Does that make sense? That does. Yeah, that does make sense. So, Logan, you talked about map. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any more examples for us? Uh, for like things that we would do, com I mean, filter is a very common one. Okay, right. so what what is filter? What's the idea behind filter? So filter takes a function. The function is supposed to take an element, and then it returns a boolean value. Okay. And then the, the next thing that it takes is the list. And what it does okay. is it gives you another list that is a subset of the original list. And it only includes all of the elements that you return to true for. In, in C sharp land, this is, this is where, right. Right. If, I, if I recall. Yeah. And this is useful because in the same way that you could use, like if you didn't have these, you'd be writing a for loop in both these cases. And a lot of your for loop would look the same. It'd be for var equals zero, i less than whatever dot length, i plus plus, open curly brace, close curly brace. And in, inside, in the map, you would do some operation. Absolutely. In the loop, the for loop. Oh, I was just, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I said in the map. There. I was in the loop, say... right. In the body of the for loop, you would apply some function to each element and then stuff it into a new array. You'd probably just have an if check right there. 
Right. I'm saying for the map, you would um, apply some function to each element in the in the collection and then shove it into a new collection. In the, but in the example filter, you would do an if check, and if it passes your criteria, then you'd shove it into the, the, new, list. the new array. Yeah, the new list, yeah. So it's, it's almost the same kind of general structure, but it's been given a name, and it is pulled out, and it's it even looks a lot like map, right? The, the, it takes the same two parameters, a function and a collection. It's just this function, does it go from a A to a B? It goes from an A to a Boolean. It's perhaps important to point out that in typed languages, those functions themselves are also typed, right? Like, you, you can't pass filter any function. You have right. to, it has to be a function that specifically takes an element, so it'll probably be genericized and be of T, and it'll return a Boolean. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it has to be of the type that you're going to, of the collection, right? Right. So if you're going to call map on a list. That's where the T part comes in. Right? Yeah. 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 But if you, if you have a list of, um, you know, a list of ints, and you only want to get back the ints that are uh, greater than five or something like that, find me all the numbers that are greater than five, you would just pass in a lambda that was like n arrow n greater than five. So that's a function that takes an n, you know, whatever your whatever your value is in your list, and returns true or false. And that would be that's your filter function. And then you get back at the end a collection that's just those certain elements. Right. Which is about as concise a as that concept gets like it's it's hard to like reduce that anymore and so map and filter both are sort of specializations of a for loop like things we would do with the for loop but given names and now in the same way that um historically if we talked about um looping like at one point people had to like come up with a name and they had to call it loop right <laughs> this idea of like go to this label that's above me until this condition is met kind of a thing, right? And then they decided, oh, that's a loop. And then eventually that became a keyword in a language. Um, map and filter are sort of the evolution of that. We had four and then later for each. Well, we had while, really, and then four. Yeah, and yeah. So, yeah. so while was the direct like translation of like an assembly jump kind of statement uh, structure. And then four takes the stuff that you always do every time in a while and codifies it. So that when you see a four, like a four is strictly less powerful than a while. Like while can do everything that four can plus more. Yeah, you just get the iterator built in. Yeah, but four. you get it built in. But most of the time you want to do what the for loop is doing. And so it's just simpler to write the for loop. And when someone comes along and they read it, they understand what you're doing. Because if they see a for loop, they know you're not doing, you know, shenanigans you might do with a while loop. And if you have a for each loop, it's an even stronger guarantee because now you're not even messing around with manual indexes into your collection, you're just getting the element directly, right? So even more so, you know exactly what you're doing. And I view map and filter, and, and many of these higher order functions, as just extensions of this idea. So map is a particular kind of thing you might want to do with a for loop, and filter is another kind of thing you might want to do. They just happen to be incredibly common and super useful, like bread and butter, like we do this stuff all the time, kind of operations but they are only possible because we have higher order functions. And and that's true. I mean, that's true in FP, but it's also true in an imperative land here because you're talking about how it's in JavaScript and we know that select and where are in C-sharp yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. So these are um, things that are inspired by FP and have made their way down into imperative languages, but they're not the kind of thing that sort of um, naturally, in my opinion, grew out of an imperative mindset. Like I, don't, I didn't see uh, anyone in the 
you know, C and C++ communities uh, reaching for map, like, or complaining that map didn't exist. But, yeah, I was, I went to actually a Microsoft, um, gosh, what are they called? Get together in assembly, right when they had released Link, it was with the new version 3. of 3.5 uh, or 3. Dot, yeah. I, I think, yeah, whatever it was in .NET. And they were talking about, and it just felt totally out of the blue to me, completely surprised and, and very dissimilar to anything else that they'd released so far. So for me, that certainly felt true. Like I was surprised. It looked very useful, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was a surprise. It, it like wasn't a natural evolutionary extension of the stuff that was already there? No. And, and as we're talking through it now, it's like, well, you know, it is kind of the next step after 4-H to, to do this kind of thing, but it's, it's not a small leap from 4-H to select. It's a, it's a pretty big right. leap. Yeah, and I see a lot of people, you know, I, I remember when Link was sort of new and a lot of people were having problem, you know, oh, I'm good with my 4-H, like I don't really see the value in, in you know, select or, or where, you know, it's weird or it's confusing or can we train people, you know, those kinds of questions. And I think at this point, you know, it's sort of uh, seeped into the, the culture such that if you're doing a language that has these kinds of, of things, uh, it, I think it's fairly uncommon that you just like don't ever touch Link if you're in C-sharp and you don't have an underscore or Lodash or Ramda lying around if you're a JavaScript developer. Like that feels pretty foreign, you know, to, to most people. So these things have kind of like, um, they probably feel to like a younger developer, like someone who's like just started in the last couple of years, they probably think that this is just normal imperative programming that you would use these kinds of things. Uh, but we definitely, you know, definitely there was a time when that was new and, and scary uh, in much the way that FP, uh, other FP concepts, because this came directly out of FP, uh, like the the more like, you know, based on math, FP <laughs> is where these ideas came from. If you go back to like the original kind of like origin of all this, the Lambda calculus, all you can do is pass functions to other functions. That's like all, like everything's higher order there because everything is a function. Like constants are a function. Everything's a function. Booleans are a function. So passing functions to functions is like very much at the core of how sort of FP evolved, like where it came from. But it's, uh, you know, it took a while for sort of that world and the imperative world to kind of like merge together. And I mean, a lot of that is just, you don't have first class functions. If you, you know, why is Java in finally in Java 8 getting, uh, you know, streams, which basically is their link. Why did it take till Java 8? Well, they didn't have first class functions. Like without that, you're just dead in the water. And so since JavaScript has had that from day one, basically, and uh, C Sharp's had it for a, a very long time, it's just been much easier to have it as part of the culture there. Um, okay, so there's one more in our sort of like, there's like a common like trifecta of um, higher order functions that usually gets talked about. And uh, why don't you take us through that one, Logan? Uh, reduce, aka fold. Yep, yeah, so it's uh, usually, it's historically called fold and, and in uh, JavaScript land, it's definitely called reduce. And in uh, C Sharp land, it's called aggregate which is probably one of the least known of the link functions. Yeah. So this one, it takes a little bit more time to get your head wrapped around because the utility is fast with it, I think. Um, but the but the real simple one is like, got like a bunch of numbers in a list and I want to add them all together. Okay. So the the it takes a function and a list just like the other three do, the other two. And this function takes um, two parameters. It's you're talking about the, in addition to just the function in the list, right? The 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 function that you're passing it, the the predicate. That's the correct word for it, isn't it? Uh, predicate's like a true something that returns true or false. 
Okay. So this is the, the folding or the reducing function. Right. There's no word for the function that's being passed in. The argument? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a special name for a function that is passed in as an argument. Got it. Okay, well, this function that is passed in as an argument takes two parameters. The first is typically the accumulator. Uh, this is like the total value that you will use for everything. It will eventually be your return value. Um, and it takes the element. And then what it needs to do is return a new accumulator. A, a new total, kind of. Right. In, in our sum example, at least it would be a total. Yeah, in, in the sum example, you're, the type of your accumulator and the type of your element are the same. But they don't have to be. They don't have to be. You could have a list. Um, that you're and, like appending onto kind of a thing? Right, right. And you're like building up this list, or it could be some object, and it's got like a pool of stuff in it, or keys, or whatever. So why don't we go through a, a short example of like, we've got some numbers, four, five, six, in, in a, an array in JavaScript or whatever, and we're going to uh, reduce them or, or fold them. So we would call our fold function, like uh, lodash or ramda fold, yeah. and we would pass it the, the function, and the function says, the function takes uh, the total and the number, so it takes two parameters, and it returns the new total. Yeah. And that's going to be good. I think this is this is something that's really important to point out because I don't know when I looked at things like Lisp and you see like it's got like a plus function instead of an operator. You're like, why didn't they just make a freaking operator from this, like every other language does? Mm -hmm. Why is it a function? Why has it got to be special? It's actually not special, right? Operators are special, but that's true. Um, <laughs> but it feels but coming from an imperative land, it, it feels, feels special. Yeah, special. And the reason why it's so awesome here is since plus is already a function, you can just pass it into your reduce. Can we get to that in just a second? I just want to run through a, a oh, simple sorry. example first, and then yeah. let's talk about that. Because that is absolutely like the killer thing here. Uh, and that's an excellent point. But I want to just talk about, we got four, five, six. Yeah. So we're going to pass in some function that takes an, the total and, and a given number and returns the new total. Yeah. We're going to pass in the um, initial value the initial total, like the start, accumu the accumulation value, the start. Oh, uh, that's right. I forgot and, about that one. And then we're going to pass the uh, collection. So on our very first pass, our, our function that we've passed in gets a total of zero and a current value of four. And what do we do with those two? We add them together. That, that's what our function does, right? It takes the sum, it takes the total and the current value, and it just adds them together and hands it back. So we get four, gets handed back. So now... On the next, we go to the next number, and our total is four. Our current value is five, so we do four plus five, we get nine. We then return that, and then we go to the next element, uh, six. We have a total of nine, current value is six. We do nine plus six, we get 15. We return that, fold or reduce, uh, upon getting to the end of all your elements, returns the total, whatever you were at. The, or the accumulate or the aggregate or whatever term you want to use for this, enhance it back. So the output of this whole reduce is 15. Does that kind of make sense? What's going on there, Aaron? Um, it does. And I will be honest here, I haven't used aggregate before. You guys are talking about how that's not that common. I've never even used it in C. I should probably look into it. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's one of those things that um, I totally am with you, Logan, on this about this one. It's like the utility is subtle, but once you uh, kind of understand it, you will find uses for it like all over the place. Yeah. And you can abuse my, it. You can, you can go too far. My question, but, though, uh, is are we passing in that initial total value 
somehow yes. because that, yeah. that seems like it would matter. The function takes three arguments, the function to run, the starting total, and then the collection okay. to... Okay, so if we're multiplying in this case, for example, we don't want to pass in zero as a starting total. We're going to pass That's in absolutely one. correct. If for some reason you wanted to multiply a bunch of numbers. Yeah, we've talked about identity values before, and this is a great place to use one. Yes, if you were, um, if you were taking those uh, numbers and, say, uh, doing something like uh, converting them to a string, and then you wanted to get back out, uh, you wanted to like concatenate them or something, right? You could, to string the number, and then add it to your identity string, you know, the starting string, which is just like empty string. And then, and at the end, you'd have the word, oh, okay, yeah, okay. or you'd have, you know, you know, a character four or five, six at the end. You could do something like that. Sure. Um, so now, uh, Logan, your point, which is a very good point, is that, that that function that we had, which takes the current total and, or sorry, the, yeah, the total and the current value, Really, it just takes two numbers and returns a number. Really, that's like the signature, right? Yep. Number and number and return number. And hey, we've seen that before. It might be called plus. Plus is a function that takes two numbers and returns another number. So in languages that support this, what can you do? Uh, you can just pass this plus function straight into reduce. Like you don't have to write a lambda yeah. kind of function. You don't have to write a lambda. And it's always a huge win when you can not write a lambda because now it's easier to test that one little function on its own or to understand how it works, or it may already be written and tested for you. Right. And that, that's a very common case, is to have some function you want to do. So if, um, another example would be like like in map, right? In map, you want to get the, like, the length of something. In C Sharp, you would unfortunately, since length is a uh, member function on strings, you would have to write a lambda that takes a string and then calls dot length on the string, and then that returns the the int, right? Yeah. But if length was just a function that took a string and returned an int and didn't live on anything, it was just like a standalone function, like in JavaScript, then you could just pass length. You would say map, open parens, length, comma, collection, close parens, and, and you'd be done. Yeah. It's worth noting that um, Ramda, I don't think Lodash does this, and I'd be interested, since Dave, you're at the workplace, you're not using Lodash FP? Yes. Um, yeah, so we differ in our experience here. So I'm, I'm curious how this turns out for you. But for Ramda, there are lots of functions that do what seem to be at the surface level very, very silly things. Like there's a function called t, and it returns true, boolean value. It also has f, which returns false, a boolean value. Uh, I think it has some other ones like plus, minus, I think it does. It's the, it's the function plus, which internally just does plus, And it's for this exact right. reason, so that you can do a sum by passing the plus function in. or, or right, did that for you. Yeah, they've done that, yeah. Um, but it's not attached to the number, by the way, because at first I thought you were saying like you might put 5.plus4, but you're saying it's plus 5,4 would be, well, right. or however, whatever the, uh, the plus function takes two parameters. It's not attached to the integer in the same way that length is attached to the string. Like we were no, it's not about. a member function. It's a static function okay. in this case. And so um, languages that have lots of, I mean, that, that's one reason why um, JavaScript is actually very amenable to functional programming is a lot of the ecosystem is written in terms of just standalone functions. And so they're very easy to just pass into these higher order functions to be the, you know, the thing to do, the unit of work. I think Ramda also has like a, a bind or unbind. I don't know which one it is. I think it's bind that lets you pull off a um, member function and make it a standalone function. Oh, OK. In the same way that you could convert any sort of like. Like the this is basically like an element that gets passed into mm -hmm. 
this new function that you get out of it. Right. And then it just acts like the other one. So you could like yank toString off of any JavaScript object. Gotcha. And toString now takes one parameter, which is the object it would normally operate on. And then it just calls toString on that thing. Right. Mm. And if you were in C sharp, you could write a, a Lambda expression that does this same sort of thing. Right. And we were talking to about like string.length. And I'm I'm not positive because I don't ever use it, but I think there is like you could just call string.length. It's like string like a namespace. Yeah. And uh, get the and the pass in a string. And so you have a function that's going to give you that. And there probably is also something like math.add or math.sum. We're just talking about how uh, using these in these situations saves you the trouble of writing that lambda, basically. There's 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 no testing if if uh, you know this is something that is has been well tested and right, it's part of the library. It's not something you need to worry about. Exactly, it's just one less thing to think about. So I think this is um, this is pretty much what we want to cover. Um, map filter and fold, um, you'll often hear, or map filter reduce is is often like the trifecta of sort of your functional programming tool belt, and they all are very good examples of this higher order function that's parameterized by the what to do, and they say the how to do it. So they take care of like the grunt work, and you provide the the interesting part. Uh, let me jump in real quick because I'm not sure that I totally understood, and maybe it's my inexperience with it. Um, but we talked about fold and reduce, and it sounds like you need you're using both of those in conjunction with one another. Sorry, they're, they're interchangeable. And so, they're the same thing. Oh, they're okay. Fold, reduce, aggregate. They're all just different in different contexts. They're called different things, but they're all the exact okay. same concept. Okay, you're not reducing and then folding. It's it's just in JavaScript. Yep. That's what you're doing. To in most traditional functional programming languages, it's called fold. Like in Haskell, it's going to be fold. Um, in JavaScript, it's almost always called reduce, in like load and lambda and stuff like that. And in C-sharp, of course, it's course it's called aggregate. Aggregate, okay. But they're they're all the same idea. And I think in Ruby, it's called inject. Oh yeah, is... that's a good point. In Ruby, it's called actually inject. it aliases to reduce, if I remember right, as well. It's funny because the Ruby community uses inject and not reduce, like as yeah. the as the norm or as yeah, they used to. Probably because I comes first in the documentation. <laughs> <laughs> um. Or maybe it's like they wrote inject and then they aliased it to reduce. So it's like a footnote. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so uh, we've gone over like a very simplistic case for reduce. Okay. Uh, which is, and, and we've talked about how it can operate over lists. I have some examples though of how it can operate over not lists. Okay. Or, or on things that you wouldn't think reduce would be good for using for, but it's great. Yeah, I'm interested to hear this because I can't, as I talked about, I've never used the aggregate, and so I'm not quite sure where you're going to be using this stuff. So uh, so Redux is a really good example um, that all of us could potentially run into in our careers. Uh, Redux, uh, basically the, the, the core of Redux is you're writing these things that they call reducers, which are functions that you could pass to reduce. And Redux internally handles the putting together the reduce stuff but you have to write the reducing function yourself. And the reducing function in this case is your application's state. Is the aggregate the sum? Yeah. And then you get past an action, which is basically saying like, hey, I clicked on a button, I typed in a field, I did abstract action. And, and that's your second parameter? Yep. And then it returns new state. So it's a function from hmm. state and action to new state. So you kind of it's kind of giving you back an updated state. So like, oh, when I click on this button, I want this text field to change. And so you're passing in the current state and the button that was clicked and it's going to pass it back and say, oh, well, yes. here's what it should look like now. And oh, man, it makes it so stupid easy to unit test because then like all of your Redux stuff is like, oh, 
I'm going to call this function. I'm going to pass it my contrived initial state and an action. And then I just get this value back. That's my new state. And I can just inspect it and make sure it has all the stuff I expect to have on there. Um, and there's no, like, I don't have to, like, mock things. I don't have to go set up a bunch of stuff and tear it down or anything like that. It's just call this function in and out. Yeah, fold or aggregate or reduce has been used actually in the functional world a lot as a uh, model for sort of um, sort of modeling uh, the change of your application state over time. Like it's been pretty popular yeah. uh, as one way of doing that. Yeah, yeah, because it gets the new state and it's immutable and separate from the old state. You can like track all of the states as they are applied actions, and so you could like fast forward and rewind the state of the application. The other example I was going to throw out is I've been working on um, a series of, you know, voxel, that's basically like cubes, uh, generation stuff. So I've got a little game I'm working on. It's got uh, asteroids in it. And I'm doing all this tooling to, like, put together procedural generation for asteroids. Um, and so there's a lot of, like, phases of generation that it goes through. And I have this grid that I'm tossing around everywhere. And the interesting thing is I can go and do a bunch of operations and wind up with multiple grids sometimes. And I will use uh, reduce to merge all of those grids together into a single grid. What What is a grid exactly? Is a grid a 2D plane of uh, your blocks? or It's like a... Th it's a three-dimensional list, mostly. And it's just, yeah, it's got a bunch of, like little data points in them that indicate like, hey, I'm a cube and I have these cube properties. Okay. And and uh, I mean, so for the uh, people among us, the few among us that have played Minecraft, it's a little bit like merging together biomes. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Basically, yeah. Like there's the, the, this bi well, the biome is just like a, a, type, a section of the world. And so you have a forest and you have the mountains and you're saying like, well, I'm going to take my forest, I'm going to take my mountain, and I'm going to put them together. And that's what you're reducing is these separate sections. And, and in your case, it's asteroids. So who knows? I don't think there's that many different asteroid types. But Right. And, and the simplistic case in, in this particular one is like, I've got two of them and I want to like basically add them together, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like I'm not going to multiply. It's like a, like a masking type operation. So uh, if there's a cube in place, it wins. Right, and if there's not a cube in place, then it does not win. And it's like an or operation kind and of. And when you're saying you're adding them together, are they side by side, or are they superimposed on top of one another? There's one basically superimposes on top of the other. Okay, so it's not exactly like my biome example then, where there's one and then another one next to it. It's but more. It could be. Sure, but in this case, it's you're you're filling in with different three different three dimensional chunks and using both of those to create. Right. And sometimes I'll wind up with a, a big list of them, and I'll just say, nope, just smash them all together into one grid that I can then, you know, mm -hmm. present as something for the scene to render or whatever. Okay. Yeah, so your your functions, especially to, to reduce, uh, can be very large and complex, right? You can have effectively a little mini application yes. inside your, your reduce to determining, like, how to stitch these things together. Uh, but you might have a, a simpler example. So something that might happen would be, for example, um, you have uh, like a stream of input. It could be uh, UI, you know, mouse click or mouse movement or keys. It could be um, it could be like over a network or whatever. And you want to take each element and effectively you're just going to take the element and an empty collection, like an array. And each 
at each step, you're just going to add that element into the array. So you're going to get the old array, and then you're going to return the array, a new array with that element added. So you can kind of like just append. You can use, you can think of a fold as like an append operation on a collection with like values coming in. That's one way to use fold. You start with an empty array, and then you have, you know, n items, and then for each item you get, you put it in the array. It sounds very similar to um, there's something called add range in C sharp where you you can append an array to an array. Right, but this could be um, invoke this aggregate if it's C sharp aggregate operation for each of mm -hmm. these elements that are rece being received like asynchronously, or we're reading files we're reading Got files it. one line at a time, and each time we do we get the list of files or the list of lines and the new line, and we add that line to the list of lines and return that. You produce a diff object or something. You're diffing. Sure. Through. I mean, you could you could do a diff off it. There's yeah. lots of things you could do. But the idea is you're taking a whole bunch of things that are, here's the key, that are of the same kind of type and smashing them down into one thing that is of that type. That's you know, generally how that works. Uh, actually, that's a little bit of a lie. They don't have to be, you don't have to smash, you can smash them together. Um, like numbers and numbers smash together and get numbers, but you can do like the Redux example where you take an action and a state and you uh, reduce that down just to a, right. a state. But, so you're taking a whole bunch of actions and an initial state and you're reducing that down to a final state. I think the, the only restriction on your type is that final type has to match your initial type. Yeah, you, we, the state the state the, the stays total. constant. Yeah, the total the stays constant. Total. The aggregate stays constant. Right. The, uh, the thing that you're you know, aggregating in can be of any type. Right. Yep. So uh, reduce is definitely the most complex of those, but they all have a very similar structure. And in fact, if you, you would write out the text of all of these, they would all almost look the same. Like almost all of their code, because we would implement it with a for loop or something internally. You could in, you could do them recursively as well if you want to, but we certainly could implement all of these with a for loop. And most of the code that we would write would actually look exactly the same even though we would get fairly varied behavior from each of these. And these are just three low-hanging fruit examples. Like, they're very common, so they get used a lot. But there's other examples that we can use um, that you can come up with for higher-order functions. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, I really would suggest you go look at link. If you're in C-sharp, look at all the functions, not just <laughs> aggregate, where, and select. I mean, those are obviously good ones to start with. But look at all of the things and try to like, get a sense of why those exist. And because they're different for a reason, like you're not going to have three different maps because we have map, right? We only need one of those. And same thing in Lodash and Ramda, you're only going to have one of them uh, that does that thing. So you'll see all these variations of where, um, oh, that's interesting that they are sort of embodying this kind of fairly specific operation on a collection by giving it a name. And by doing that, now we can talk about it. So I, I like to think of higher order functions as sort of the first level you need to do sort of like um a lot of abstraction like because we can talk about map now like now aaron you and i can talk about map and you go okay i know exactly what you're talking about like we don't have to explain it anymore right 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 and it's just this very very common operation that you know we're both doing all the time and it's this big long mess of words to say well i'm doing my loop and i'm going through and i'm operating on each each you know there's rather than talk about exactly what map's doing right you and then we map. just we know what we're talking about and yeah, summarize this this common operation that's fairly simple. And we'll see more of that as we as we push forward into other concepts. We'll see the same sort of thing applied at even higher levels of, of abstraction, which is usually where people kind of get lost. Before we move on to the next thing, uh, we've got well, one thing. I, one thing I want to touch on is 
so we've shown off like some crazy uses of reduce and i'm sure if we thought about it further we could come up with some other ones too but the a lot of them go beyond the like i have a list and i want to add some things together type example or i have a list at all and uh there, there's a general complaint uh about mathematicians that they that they present things in this like hyper generic way uh that you'd never be able to really like relate it back to any practical application so we we're looking at like reduce and we're saying hey reduce takes a list and it produces some aggregate out of that well the generic definition of reduce isn't anything like that i would imagine and it would probably be actually be pretty hard to take that definition by itself and then go and say oh yeah of course i could go take a list with this and just crank out like a number from it um dave have you looked into that at all does that does that jive with your experience here you're talking about how often from a mathematical perspective sort of the general idea of converting a thing into yeah. a thing. let's take map as an example right because uh, i think that's a little simpler than reduce the, the idea of i can i know how to go from an a to a b and I know how to traverse a collection of A, and therefore I can give you back right. a collection of B. That kind of thing. Like we're 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 not we've never mentioned a type. We've used A and B yeah. in collection, and they're all like right. very generic -y things. It's not, it's not even a collection necessarily, right? And so, does that kind of get to what you're saying, Logan? That like there's these these higher level kind of ideas, and they seem really abstract, but ultimately they're the kinds of things that lead us to getting things like higher order functions in an imperative language because they sort of. Um, hint at these better ways of doing things right is, is that kind of what you're going for yeah, here? yeah okay cool so yeah i think we've done a pretty good job of talking about higher order functions um again just to be really clear they're not really that complicated we talked to like in the first like two minutes about what they were there's really nothing special there it's more of in the how you use um how you use them right and uh i don't know in terms of their you know writing these um do you think there's anything special that you need to do in order to use them? Like in C sharp, you would probably have like a, a delegate or a func kind of a thing. Um, so Dave, I don't, don't mean to interrupt you here, but actually what I think is most interesting about um, higher order functions is that when we look at them in imperative languages, they look like they did come totally out of the blue. And we've just, but the reason for that is because we've stolen from functional programming, as we, as we mentioned earlier, or, or borrowed appropriated. them, or them, or <laughs> however you want to describe it incorporated sure um and yeah they look like they just came from nowhere in imperative but they don't look like that at all in functional and it sounds like that's kind of what you alluded to earlier is that in functional land these kind of were natural progression and these higher order functions just um, made sense and so that's um how they came about they developed uh, organically and naturally just like a lot of things in imperative yeah i'd say that's pretty fair yeah, and then they seem weird because they are a bit of a transplant. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's what I find most interesting about the higher order functions and this whole discussion. So to everyone out there, if higher order functions seem weird at first, that's okay. They probably should, given your background, if you have a, a background in imperative languages. But uh, Logan and I certainly can attest to, and, and Aaron, you can probably chime in on this, that uh, they get uh, a lot easier very quickly. Like you will incorporate the mental model for how they work very fast, and then they will seem indispensable, and you will never want to go back to not using them. That is pretty much exactly right, and I bet that maps uh, Logan's experience too. Yep. And if you look at the sort of the trends in like JavaScript land, you see this absolute 
beeline <laughs> highway straight towards like a lot of these functional concepts and the the usage of higher order functions is very very common there so if you spend any time in that world you'll sort of by necessity just be inundated with it and uh, get a feel for it really quick all right that about wraps us up for this week i um, want to say thank you to everyone for joining us and we will see you next episode thanks thanks everybody 